what does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Hey, welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft, the Director of Education at Pioneer Rx. And today we have a crossover episode bringing in a guest from the Catalyst podcast. Our own Josh Howland is going to be joining us today. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Will. So I feel like you're probably one of the uh, more uh, known faces from Pioneer RX as you do make it out on the trade show circuit. Obviously, everyone has seen you in the uh, Catalyst podcast. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what you do over at Pioneer RX. Um, it kind of runs the whole gamut these days. Um, so I'm a pharmacist by training. So all of the clinical team, um, all two of them report to me today. Um, and then also the, the software development group. So, um, all of the pioneer core group, um, for the windows team, our web team that does RX local and all of our web portals as does our mobile team. Um, and then my little side hustle, I also run HR. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fun times, uh, <laughs> many hats, many hats at uh, pioneer RX often. <laughs> so, uh, you mentioned that you're a pharmacist by trade. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that before we dive into uh, Pioneer RX specifically, because I think that really plays into, you know, how you're able to kind of uh, effectively implement many of those different hats into the day-to-day -day at Pioneer. Sure. I, I guess the easiest answer is I, I struggled a little bit with what I wanted to be when I grew up. So um, when I graduated from pharmacy school, um, Actually, coming out of pharmacy school, I had intended on going to law school afterward, uh, did a law rotation, and didn't like it at all. But I did a, a medication administration pilot for one of my rotations, and I really liked it. Um, so I worked for Walgreens for two years, knowing that it was a two-year time until I'd had enough money to save to do my MBA. Um, I worked for CVS on the evil empire side for couple of years. Um, I joke now that I'm doing penance for the things I did at CVS, um, <laughs> specifically narrowing networks and specialty administration and pricing. So um, all the things that are kind of four letter words in the independent world right now. Um, and then I, uh, I finished my MBA and went over and took on some medication programs at David RX. So I did renal specialty care for about five years. Um, and built programs to really integrate pharmacy, the dialysis unit, and the nephrologist and really spread and share information. Um, so what we did all day, every day was care planning. Um, okay. And so when I came to Pioneer, I was initially hired to kind of bring in some specialty pharmacy capabilities. Um, so that was, you know, care planning, URAC accreditation, ACHC accreditation, things like that. Um, and then that just kind of morphed into what I do today. Nice. Okay. Well, that makes a little bit, um, that kind of connects some dots, makes a little bit of, uh, uh, more sense there in that background where you actually got to see the, um, 
you know, the the chain retail side, but then also, you know, have that really um, kind of insider look at how those chains are kind of working, you know, both uh, both sides of the industry there to, you know, to their benefit. Uh, unfortunately, not to the benefit of all pharmacy, um, but then going into, you know, that care planning. So uh, at that stage and kind of, um, I guess, the evolution of pharmacy was was the term care planning in existence at the time, or was it called, you know, is that a fairly new terminology? So for pharmacists, it's fairly new. Well, for retail pharmacists, it's fairly new. Uh, almost every medical profession on the planet's been doing some type of care planning for as long as there's been a profession. You know, I mean, if you think about it, you don't really, your, your doctor doesn't say, here's your care plan, Right. When you right. go visit your doctor, they find out what's going on, you know, then they kind of give you a diagnosis. Cool. You've got a sinus infection. I'm going to give you antibiotics for 10 days, take them. And if you don't feel better in five days, call me back. Right. That's basically them summarizing their care plan for you. And when you're in a hospital, nurses have, you know, Prior to their shift, they do a handoff from, you know, the night shift to the morning shift. That nurse will kind of go over your, all of the patients in that wing, what they've done, what's going on, what the next set, you know, what's expected of those people during that day. That's transitioning the care plan, right? Occupational therapists do it. Dentists do it. And to a degree, pharmacists did it all along. They're just really not used to documenting it at all. Um, and more importantly, they're right. not used to sharing it. You know, in a hospital, you have nurses handing off to doctors, doctors handing off to OTPT, whatever. And that's expected, right? There's a whole care team piece there. And pharmacy has always kind of been this stepchild that didn't really include in that that spot, except in certain areas. And in, in clinical pharmacy and hospitals and outpatient oncology centers and places like that, pharmacist care plan and shared those care plans. And now that's kind of trickling into the community world because finally people are realizing that the vast majority of care for patients happens in their communities. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And, and anytime you talk to an independent pharmacy, you know, they're going to share that same sentiment that, um, you know, it is kind of an antiquated view of the pharmacy to see that as dispensing. And and so for within the care plan, for that to be a vending machine, basically, for, you know, um, for their prescriptions, uh, seems like really, really underutilizing that, that role, A, uh, because they are so accessible. But then, um, you know, B, it's definitely uh, kind of that shift in mindset where, you know, if you're not going to be a source of, you know, dispensing only, then you need to be more involved somehow. Right. And, and you know, to a degree, pharmacists have never, I, I hate when pharmacists, you know, like we almost use it as a derogatory term, right? The fill and bill pharmacies. That might be what they're billing and getting paid for, but there's no such thing as a fill and bill pharmacy, right? They've got patients that are coming in and asking them questions. The weird, like you're a, and, you know, behind the scene or behind the bench, you're pre-poison control. You know, my kid ate this. What am I going to do? Um, I've had a bag of hair handed to me that was clearly full of lice and they're asking what's going on. 
you know, like you get all these weird things in triage that. Right. Yeah. Sure. You're dispensing pills, but you're doing all this other stuff. And pharmacy has been just abysmal at both marketing their skills and documenting what they're doing and, you know, being able to give that to other members of the care team. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of funny when, you know, when I, when I think back, like I can't really recall any pharmacists 10 years ago, um, five years ago, almost, uh, referring to themselves as a clinical pharmacist. Uh, and, and like that, that phrase in itself kind of implies that some pharmacists are not clinical or do not have clinical training. Right. Uh, which, you know, seems, seems to be really underselling the, the, the skill sets and, and, uh, you know, the, the role that could be performed. Yeah. And the, the, I don't, I think it may even be Amina when she was talking about people referring to a clinical pharmacist and not, and like she said, there's no such thing as a not clinical pharmacist. And she's right. You know, like I worked renal specialty pharmacy. That sounds cool. The only difference is I dealt with about 10 drugs and that was about it. Right. Really complicated patients. All of them were on the same 10 to 15 drugs. Cool. There's a difference between being a nephrologist, a specialist, and a general practitioner. Most pharmacists are general practitioners. That's it. Like, good. That's where you need most of your healthcare, and you need most of your pharmacists to be really well versed in the top four or five hundred drugs that come on the market. And that's exactly what you want them to be doing. Yeah. So the irony there is that the, um, you know, kind of adaptation of care planning into the retail pharmacy space, I I think, you know, most of that, even just a couple of years ago was kind of centered around even, even a lot of our infrastructure for care plans in the beginning was focused on that specialty medication, because that's where Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you had to have things documented a little bit differently. Um, you know, like you said, the URAC accreditation would you know, require these specific steps and um, you just had to be able to document that. But, but really it's, it's kind of grown so far outside of that at this point. It's been a buzzword at trade shows, you know, for a long time. And I think there's still a lot of ambiguity about what that means in the retail space. Yep. Um, you know, it's funny. I came to Pioneer a little over six years ago now. And then at my first connect, I didn't speak thankfully because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, at, at the first one, we'd had about 12 months of kind of that initial planning. And we, we got up on stage and said, care planning's coming. Here's what we're going to do. This is what it's going to look like. And probably 200 of the 300 people in the audience looked at me like I was completely out of my mind. And then you kind of skip forward to about three years ago and about half of the audience is like, yeah, I kind of see the point, but I'm not going to do it until I get paid for it. Right. And then this last year, there's like 800 people in the audience all saying, I do care plans. Right. So you're kind of starting to see that evolution of it's not a fringe or a niche thing anymore. It's what independent pharmacies do because that's what they're going to be able to do to go to talk to payers, manufacturers, anybody who will listen to them about what they do is going to happen through a care plan and not through these 
know, magical data feeds and integrations that don't exist today. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you see that pushback anytime you have a, a change uh, in a landscape. So with MedSync, uh, with immunizations, you know, um, pharmacies didn't all provide immunizations. And now, you know, independent pharmacy, like, was really the kind of, uh, you know, saving grace during the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, a service they didn't even offer 15 years ago, uh, mm -hmm. 20 Wow, 25 years ago, I guess. <laughs> um, but, you know, a, a service that wasn't even offered, um, you know, and, and and a career span that's memorable, put it that way, at two, you know, really mm -hmm. being the, the front line of defense and, and, a, and a global pandemic is kind of amazing. But you see that same pushback with, you know, MedSync 10 years ago was something mm -hmm. that not everybody did. And do we want to change? Change is hard. And now it's, you know, I can't imagine trying to offer any kind of enhanced services without that, that strong foundation. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, I, in 2008, when I graduated, I was one of the handful of pharmacists in the Dallas area for Walgreens that immunized. And at the time that was like, it was a traveling group of us and we do clinics all over the Metroplex. And then by the next year, it was, if you're a pharmacist at Walgreens, you're a dis you're a vaccinator. And mm -hmm. so it went from having extra people on top of your staff to immunize and, and vaccinate and then your regular pharmacy staff to do the, the dispensing. By that next year, it was, okay, now you're dispensing and vaccinating and we're not going to give you any more people. By the next year, it was, you're dispensing, vaccinating, and we're not giving you any more people and we're taking away hours, right? And independents kind of had that downward pressure as well. And they didn't get more staff. They didn't get better reimbursement. Um, so I think you're spot on. The reason they can do those things and do them well, it, it, for the most part, is better efficiency. And that's MedSync, right? Like, I, I still firmly believe that you can't adequately do care planning if you can't do or won't do MedSync. Yeah. So... Want to dive into care plans a little bit more? Um, you know, how how does a care plan differ from maybe something like uh, like a tip from from outcomes? So, is, is there a difference between an MTM and a and a care plan? Um, kind of, I guess, process wise, uh, you know, or you know, I, it seems like there's a whole lot of overlap. Um, but are, are they the same? Could they be the same? Could, can they be handled the same, I guess, as far as workflow? So yes and no. So I'll throw out my hot take of the, the hour and tell you that I think traditional MTM is pure garbage. Um, like for the most part, medication therapy management is what pharmacists should be doing, right? I don't think anybody right. questions that. But it has to be timely, right? So if I'm going to do a med reconciliation on you, what's special about October? Nothing. You're two months yeah, from your plan running out and you have to have it done once that year. So it, it isn't, it's not meaningful, right? You didn't, if you didn't catch all the drug interactions that you saw for that patient between January and October, you've done no good. All you're doing is billing for that 50 bucks that's required on the Medicare Part D plan. 
at its core, if MTM was what it should be, it would look a lot more like care planning, right? Same thing with MedSync. You talk to a patient every month, you identify a problem, you document the problem, that's care planning. If you do a, you know, a tip, for the most part, the tip is just there's a less expensive option or the patient's not taking the medication correctly and you're just doing a therapeutic interchange. Pharmacists do that all day, every day, Monday through Friday, sometimes on the weekends. Documenting that is part of the care plan, right? So there's nothing special inherently about saying I do care planning or I send it to whoever I send it to. The special part is being able to document the things that you do that are clinically relevant and timely for a patient when they're done and the ability to share that with anybody else that can accept that care plan. That's it, right? Just documenting what a pharmacist, a good pharmacist does every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, if you think about it, if, um, you know, if you're getting tips, uh, especially for your own patients that, you know, they're not adherent, you know, if there are serious issues, uh, serious enough that a payer is willing to send that down the chain uh, and and spend money in the process to correct an issue that's happening at your pharmacy, <laughs> um, you know, it seems like a very reactive uh, approach to patient care. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the the positive part about that is it shows that payers care about those things, right? I mean, having an adherence of 80% may or may not be a good measure of if the medication's working, right? If you take the medication 30% of the time and it works, who cares? If you take it 90% of the time and it doesn't work, you need to be on something different. But what the the point of it is, is there's clear information that patients who take their medications and they take them correctly have better outcomes. And so payers are clearly incentivized to pay for services that make sure patients take their medications on time and correctly. It just so happens that right now, MTM and TIPS are the way that those, that's their easiest avenue of getting that done. And so if we can give them better avenue with better results, they'll clearly go that path, right? I mean, if I could fix your problem in January and you have 11 months of adherence beyond that, that's better all day than fixing your problem in October and having two months until you're on the next plan. And unfortunately, insurances are incentivized to see people as being humans from January to January. And then on January 1, if you're not on that plan anymore, you're not their problem, right? So, like, you have to be proactive about it. And if we can show payers and, and everybody else that there's a better, more efficient way of doing it, they'll absolutely switch. Yeah, yeah. So, I think it's it's one of those things, too, like, you know, uh, we said with immunizations, we said with MedSync, but... I, I remember, you know, going in and installing pharmacies who were, you know, on the fence about, yeah, should I be doing these, you know, uh, MTM actions that are coming in? And, uh, you know, it's a new process. I'm going to have to have somebody in a back office. I'm going to have to get clinical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it was a lot of the same arguments for that. Um, but, yeah, I love the idea of addressing those issues within your pharmacy before, uh, you have those uh, 
you know, lagging indicators and, and go and go ahead and create that plan in the pharmacy. So I, I think there's probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe a bit of murkiness uh, for anybody who hasn't started doing uh, care planning on the difference between some of those uh, different things. So the patient's e-care plan is never going to be, um, well, I guess at some point it'll be finished, but um, <laughs> as long as that's an active patient, <laughs> yeah. um, that e-care plan continues to evolve. And then we can think of the smaller pieces that uh, make up that e-care plan, right? So tell me a little bit about care actions and and how that structure exists in, in the larger uh, picture. Got it. So at its core, you're right. Your care plan is a living, breathing thing, right? So your care plan effectively starts the day I get you as a patient and stops the day you cease to be my patient for whatever reason that is, right? And so that's where everybody gets like, all right, well, I have to create a care plan. Well, no, if you do it right, Pioneer is going to create the vast majority of that care plan for you. Right, you're going to update your allergies and health conditions, and if you document your your care goals and actions as you go along, you're just building this living, breathing document. And when you send somebody, you know, say at CPESN or another payer or a doctor, an e-care plan, you're basically just saying, "I'm taking a snapshot in time right now of everything that's ever happened to my patient up until now, and sending it over." That sounds scary because that sounds like a lot of information and in a lot of cases it is, but it's sent in standardized formats so that another computer can read it, right? So you're sending NDCs and SNOMED codes and, and international standards in a file that's also an international standard. So it makes it easier to share back and forth, but the data itself is just a, a point in time of what you've done to that patient up until now. Um, you could, and, and, you know, as care planning gets more advanced, you could have, you know, say an EHR subscribed to changes that only affect medication related stuff to this doctor or, you know, specific medications that's possible today. You're just sending off a, a full payload. Um, but what you really want to think about is when people in most independent pharmacies are talking about care planning, they're actually talking about the pieces that they affect in terms of a care goal and a care action, right? And the difference between a goal and an action, at least in, in the, the e-care plan standard, is the goal is an overarching thing, right? Say, I want to lose 10 pounds. That's a goal. Um, ideally, you make it kind of smart and say, I want to lose 10 pounds by August 1st. And then you have certain actions that go along with that goal that indicate steps along that path, right? So your first action might be enroll Josh in a, you know, my Saturday morning weight loss class. Great. That's it. You have a goal, you have an action. If I wanted to send that to a payer to say, I've done this, that is a full care plan at that point. Um, and then you just keep building onto that and say the next week you had a new action, you, you know, did a one-on-one -on -one counseling session, you called the doctor to maybe add a drug or take away a drug as part of their weight loss journey. All of that keeps building onto 
what is the living care plan. Yeah. So it sounds like you're you're writing a book. It sounds like the, you know, we we've got the Josh Howland biography that we're writing at at our uh, pharmacy. And you know, chapter 1 uh the the weight loss journey is, is the goal. And then that chapter is going to have all the steps that uh, of that journey, every every interaction that we've had, every everything that we've done to help you achieve that goal. And then hopefully um you know, the 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 lab values to you know show the the positive results of of those actions and and be able to really quantify the care that we're describing. Correct. Yep. And, and that's the the part about it. When you start looking at all the components that exist in Pioneer for care planning, the biggest problem is you start looking at all of them in in their discrete units, right? Like you look at the care plan and it's got demographics and allergies and health conditions and drugs and fill histories and goals and actions and labs. And it looks overwhelming, but the only part of that that Pioneer doesn't build on its own is you describing the actions, right? So the outline's written for you. You just have to fill in the rest of the story. Yeah. And the, the rest of the story so often is, you know, where, where that, that magic of independent pharmacy lives where, you know, you have the, you have the pharmacy who's spending time, who's, you know, going to the patient's house to talk to them, who's, you know, pulling them aside and, and having a consult and, and reviewing their medications or, or talking about their, uh, you know, monthly med sync cycle and answering any questions, you know, but so much of that, like so much of the magic that happens just kind of disappears into the ether. If it's not documented, it didn't happen, I guess. Right. And, and you know, and one of the things that I, I think is actually easier for a lot of independent community pharmacies to do in care planning is that they do spend a lot of time with their patients, right? I mean, imagine what care planning would look like when I was at the bench at Walgreens, you know, like my store filled about 700 scripts a day. My care plan would be gave will drugs done, right? I might have I might have done a little bit of counseling in the drive-through, right? The bare minimum to get me by without getting in trouble from the state and me feeling good about remaining a pharmacist. Um, and it's similar. I had a, a journey where I had a, a good doctor. Um, they sold their practice to a large hospital health system here in Dallas, and scheduling with them was rough. And like, you get about ten minutes with the doctor there's not a lot of real communication and planning going on at that point. Um, I switched over to a concierge doctor, which would basically be the equivalent of a, you know, a good community pharmacy and, you know, spent 45 minutes talking to the doctor about where I was, you know, what I was trying to do, where my health was. Luckily I was in good health. So it was mostly about how to maintain and, you know, I'm getting older to make sure that I'm maintaining my health rather than declining and the the type of communication that you get from that and the the follow-up summaries that's what builds a good care plan and so independence where we're, we've always been saying independents provide better clinical care independents provide public health they do all these other things with their their patients the care plan gives you the ability to tell that story in a really compelling way and then, you know, you could look at a payer and say, well, if we have 10,000 Pioneer Red Cell pharmacies doing care planning, 
look at the results that you get. And here's why, right? You can't argue that this is not the result of fast, easy, cheap drugs. This is the result of a relationship between a pharmacist and their patient. And that's the only thing that's different in that system. Like if you can do that, why would you not care plan? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, in, in this case, you, you have a, uh, you know, a patient who's proactive and, and you know, aware based on certain metrics and, and their education and, and the healthcare industry that they should be proactive and, and take additional steps. Oftentimes, you're not going to get that from the patient themselves, but that data is, is still there, like for the pharmacy to interpret, just like that patient uh, – just did. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that um, I think the information is there uh, in mm -hmm. the system to be proactive. And, and we put a lot of great tools uh, into the system to be proactive. And so, you know, how can a pharmacy then take that next step and say, I'm going to be proactive and, 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 and kind of connect those dots? Um, so the, the first thing, and I think you and I both tell probably hundreds of pharmacists this year, every year, you have to do MedSync first, right? You, you absolutely have to change your workflow so that you have the free time to be able to think about something besides what's on fire. And MedSync is without question, the first step in doing that. Right. The, the next easy step beyond that is we built a care plan that works around the Pioneer RX MedSync process. So you turn that on, you start getting in the habit of putting good sync notes in. You know, I, I probably talk to a couple of pharmacies every month that say, I don't want my sync notes to go directly from the sync cycle into the MedSync care action. And you ask why? And it's because those notes aren't clinical in any way. They're, you know, knock three times on the back door and run, right? <laughs> um, so you, you activate the care plan that we've already built that has a couple of specified actions in it, and you get started with putting good notes in the MedSync field and letting the system build that care goal on its own. And it's just like, you know, exercise habits or any other habit that you build. It takes about four to six weeks before you stick with it and you start getting good at it. Um, and then you just add one more. So say I want to grab all of my patients 65 and older who are diabetics without a statin. Cool. You, you, you frame what you want and then chances are we've probably built a care goal and a trigger to go along with it. So you can either use ours or copy it from a new one and make it your own. But it's always, it's one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that first step is the, is, you know, the most important in any journey, but especially here because they're it, a, it's such a buzzword uh, and B it's the, it's the same challenge that we see again with all of the other examples of change we've talked about. But um, I, I think there's definitely this uh, kind of mindset uh, or this fear that, yeah, I'm going to start getting clinical. I better clear out an office in the back and, and hire mm -hmm. an additional clinical pharmacist to, to help me do this. And, and that's definitely not the case at all. Right. Um, seems like, you know, you can really start within your workflow, um, you know, and kind of move into that space. So you talked about the care plans that are already in the system. And I think that is, um, 
probably one of the coolest things that we're doing today that is definitely underutilized. So tell me a little bit about how we kind of approach that, why we have those existing care plans and um, and why pharmacies should be, you know, really thinking about which ones are important to them that they can use to to move the needle in their community. Yeah. So the I wish the answer was we were really forward thinking and making sure that pharmacies had a lot of good examples for what they could build with care plans. Um, but you know, when we were building out care plans through Pioneer in the workflow, you know, we we already used categories for a lot of stuff. We'd historically used triggers primarily just for RX edits, right? I mean, that's still probably their main function. Um, so we we took those two things and we added the trigger capability of firing a care plan. And the functionality was there. It was fairly complicated to set up. And when we rolled out the first generation of that feature, the first week there were like zero care plans done, right? <laughs> um, and so when Jeff and I started asking pharmacies, why? The, the overwhelming answer was, I have no idea what the heck to do. And so that kind of built the, oh man, we should build a couple of really simple examples that, you know, every pharmacy could use, but doesn't necessarily have to, right? So thinking about that first phase was very simple. A goal has one action and one action only. You do it or you don't do it, right? And and that was looking at like diabetic patients without statins. Clinically relevant and affects your, your equip scores and your DIR fees. So you can do it. You can prove you do it. You already should be talking to doctors about patients who don't have a statin on board. This is a no-brainer, right? Um, and then as we rolled out the first couple of phases of those, we started working you know, more and more with CPSN, and they said, hey, we've got a couple of programs. We need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And they were the initial part was that these care plans were super manual, right? You have, yeah. a, you have a patient, you have to start the care plan, you have to build it, you have to put all the documentation in, and then you spent 30 minutes doing something you didn't have that time to do. And so that second phase of templates rolled out as part of CPSN had a new program and a new payer. We built all the base care goals that go along with it. Um, and now there's probably, I don't know, 50 or 60. Um, and so... Now the beauty of it is if you want to start care planning, you can go through and look at those and say, Where, where's the biggest problem in my pharmacy? And I'm going to start on that one care goal. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the the care plans, the, the care goals when they first came out, you know, it seems like there is definitely kind of that uh, specialty medication workflow mindset. Mm -hmm. And then it, it did just kind of evolve into – something that was a whole lot easier to to apply just to day-to-day -day issues. Uh, and then now to the point that the documentation side on a couple, like you mentioned, the the MedSync default care goal, and then we have some really cool um, care goals that we've been uh, doing uh, in cooperation with some of the uh, manufacturers out there, mm -hmm. that it's like almost more difficult to not do them. They just kind of happen automatically in your workflow. Right. 
and and that that was the goal. Um, I I'd like to say I wish it didn't take five years, but there's a really there's a enormous amount of complexity that goes into workflow and and care planning. Um, and building initially a care care goal was fairly complicated. Using a care goal at the the beginning was just as complicated. And so over time, when you figure out more use cases and figure out how to automate them, building it keeps getting more and more complicated because we keep adding new features to it, right? You're eventually you'll have medical billing and all this other stuff that, that fits into care plans. But because we know more and we've, we've spent a lot of time figuring out how they should and can work, building them is hard. Using them is incredibly easy. So for things like MedSync, where we know thousands of people use the same, mostly the same process, we can automate 90% of that. Where we build programs centrally working with you know payers, we know exactly what they need and what type of information they're looking for. And so we made those where you can't skip them because it takes you longer to skip it than it does to actually do the work. Um, and being able to document that work, you know, obviously gets you paid. So, um, that's, that's part of the vision of build it It is complex. Use it is so easy. A caveman can do it. Yeah. So, you know, a, a lot of those pieces kind of start to click together where, you know, we see ongoing issues that, you know, pharmacies are now responding to through those MTM actions, you know, they're being reactive, trying to fix some medication possession uh, ratio issues or, uh, you know, trying to trying to fix some basic issues that are being picked up by by third parties. And then, you know, we kind of see that that evolution of documentation in the pharmacy to getting easier and easier. And, and now I think most pharmacies have something that they're passionate about, that they're doing, that they're helping their patients with. Um, you know, and, and it seems like within the software, there's probably an existing uh, care goal that has been curated and carefully built to help facilitate that. Yeah, and if not, one of the one of the features that I love about Pioneer is it's customizable. One of the features yeah. that's insanely hard to communicate is that it's so customizable. Um, but you know, a lot of the, all of the templates that we, we made, we sent them out as kind of a system template that you can't change, but it, it's kind of an example of what our, our thought on a best practice in a idyllic community pharmacy is. But the reality is we've got 5,800 plus pharmacies that use pioneer in 5,800 different ways. And so part of those, each of those care goals, you can copy them and save it as new. And then you can tweak it for however you want. And that's one of the things I think is really powerful is once you get used to using a basic template, you can create, you can copy it and create a new one that allows you to make it more detailed and more detailed in the fact that it's more detailed for exactly what you need, right? You're, you're designing a clinical program that fits your pharmacy like a glove that says, at my pharmacy, we really care about health and wellness in a, you know, in a, proactive way. Cool. Build that care plan. And that's part of what your pharmacy does. That's your new, your, you know, your superpower, why somebody could go to your pharmacy instead of someone else's. And so I I think it's, it's 
underutilized and not quite recognized yet how powerful it is to have your own special thing at your pharmacy. Yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, you can see a lot of benefits, um, you know, having that standardized kind of process to share within your team, having that mm -hmm. standardized documentation that can be referenced later. There's a, a lot of huge advantages within the pharmacy walls. Um, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here and be every every pharmacy out there right now and say, I want to get paid for what I'm doing. Why would I do extra work? That sounds like doing more when I'm not getting paid for it. You know, I'll start doing it when I get, you know, when I can get paid for it. Sure. Um, I mean, I guess the easy part about that is we all know that's not going to happen. Like if you, if you don't do the work and you don't prove that you're doing the work, no one will ever pay you. So in that scenario, the answer is, okay, cool. Then you're never going to get paid to do it. Um, <laughs> right. And if that's the answer, independent pharmacy will be in a lot of trouble, right? Logistically, no one can compete with the Walmarts and the Amazons and getting packages to you fast, cheap, and next day, right? You also don't own 9,000 pharmacies, a PBM, and a health plan. So you can't control reimbursements and you can't control all these other things. So I'll do clinical services when I get paid for them. What you're really saying is I hope that the other 20,000 pharmacies that are independent in this country do that and you can tag along. Yeah. Because if too many people say, I'm not going to do this until I get paid, then nobody's going to get paid for it. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to, you know, ask payment um, anywhere, especially, you know, in the medical arena where everything is standardized and coded um, for, you know, ask to be paid for services that are not um, documented mm -hmm. and, um, you know, coded. Well, so And for... For probably worse, pharmacy has built a reputation of being immediately accessible and free. If you're, and that's the perception, right? Like you would never walk into your doctor's office on a random Tuesday at two o'clock in the afternoon and say, hey doc, what's going on with this? And show them your arm, right? <laughs> never happened. Right. Not for free anyway. Um. And so pharmacy has this perception of quick, available, and free. In order to change that perception, you have to do something different. And part of that difference is being able to document what you've done and then measure the success of what that means, right? You may still not necessarily charge patients to come in and talk to them about you know, smoking cessation or whatever else, but you should be able to prove to their payers that that service is worth a lot of money, right? Smoking cessation, paying a pharmacist is infinitesimally small compared to treatment for lung cancer, right? And so if you can, if you can measure that and report all of that back to a payer on a bigger scale, and that's been a big problem for independent pharmacy for a long time, is when you know, Bob's pharmacy goes to talk to the payer down the road and says, hey, when your patients come to me, they get better. And the the payer says, I believe you. That's great. You can serve 1,500 of my 200,000 patients. 
it's not scalable, right? Right. So what, you know, a, a group of pharmacies that use Pioneer and care planning, or, you know, now even Red Sale and care planning, you can go to a payer and say 10,000 pharmacies that can serve, you know, 150 million Americans can do these things and do them well, and they're worth X dollars. That changes the game, right? And you just can't have people saying, I'm going to opt out and I'll do this when I get paid. We yeah. have to we have to change people's minds and perceptions of what pharmacy is. Yeah, what's wild is, you know, you, you see pharmacies that have been laser focused and, and you know, watching their equip scores, communicating with uh, physicians and, and helping physicians meet, you know, their uh, metrics. You know, so all of a sudden these relationships have been built over the years where pharmacies have been able to show, hey, we're high performing pharmacy. It's going to help your metrics and and it's a win-win situation. And you see those – some of those relationships kind of, you know, open, open up to that kind of next level where pharmacies are, you know, helping them with other services and expanding. And so it, it's crazy to me to see just how much – pharmacies, uh, you know, have, have expanded and how hard they're working, putting, you know, pharmacy, uh, pharmacists inside doctor's offices mm -hmm. and helping, you know, do revenue shares because they've, you know, some of those pharmacies have built those relationships. Uh, but that still just seems, you know, getting access to their EHR, you know, doing work in their system instead of your own. A lot of that just seems like, you know, a fantastic effort, but stopgap technology, you know? Yep. No, it, it's a hundred percent a bandaid, right? So part of the reason the pharmacists are working with the doctors is the doctors have the you know, same problems that pharmacies do too much stuff to do, not enough time and not enough resources. And so the pharmacies are picking up the slack where it makes sense and med management and, you know, chronic care management, things like that, where 90% of diabetic management after your stable is managing your drug regimen to make sure your a1c is fine right like i don't know about you but somebody who went to school for the better part of a decade to learn about drugs is perfectly positioned to do those things um, and they're billing through the doctor or through the doctor's ehr because you can't bill that today as a pharmacist in a lot of places and yeah you know we have to build it in pioneer be, first step may even be to build that in pioneer document it like in an e-care plan and send that to an EHR that can consume it. And that data gets sent up as one group, but clearly the next phase in that is being able to send a billable document to a payer and say, pharmacist did this, combine it with the patient's doctor on their care team. And everybody shares in the fact that their patient got better collectively. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what do you think that looks like in the next couple years even, you know, with, and I guess it's really going to depend, you know, state by state provider status, what's, what's billable, what's available. But it seems like, like I said, chronic care management, you know, being able to document those 15 minute encounters a couple times a month, having um, that framework seems perfect for a care goal. It seems well within the scope of uh, a pharmacist's ability uh, and really, you know, specialty even. Um, all the pieces just seem to fit. Uh, and, and now it seems like there might be some technology catching up too. So mm -hmm. what do you think that looks like in a couple of years? And, uh, 
you know, across the country, I guess. Yeah. So I think, I think we're still, you know, we're still several years away from a large scalable nationwide kind of campaign for pharmacists to be able to do those things. Um, right now, I think the vast majority of where the movement will be is in local or regional places. Um, healthcare is a local concern, right? So, you know, COVID probably pushed pharmacy ahead 10 years from building relationships with payers, state health, you know, their local public health agencies, places like that. So I think you'll start seeing inroads there where you, you, your public health will expect that pharmacy is a big player in whatever, you know, when we saw a case of polio in New York this last week, that those will, those types of public health things will be something that pharmacies are brought into much, much more frequently than they have been historically, you know, and then the others will be things like, you know, how CPSN has been pushing into a lot of places regionally where they've got payer relationships that, you know, right now are, are smaller scale pilot sized, they're changing hearts and minds. Right. And so as soon as they get that big enough and scalable, the dominoes will fall, right? Insurance plans will do whatever they can to increase efficiency and save money. As soon as, yeah. you know, they, there's enough, you know, weight behind that, they'll all do it. Right. So the minute that it's profitable for the insurance companies to do, you will have zero problems credentialing a pharmacist. Right now, it's just more of a hassle. So it's not that they can't, it's just that they don't want to. Sure. Um, so I think the next couple of years are still building, you know, regional relationships that create those billable opportunities and opportunities to show what pharmacies can do. But I, I think it's a little bit naive to say that, you know, in two or three years, we'll have a, a national infrastructure for pharmacist billing. Yeah, but no, I mean, even today we see some of those opportunities um, arising with, you know, CPESN, again, like you said, really, you know, providing the data that's necessary, um, you know, to change those hearts and minds saying, hey, look, here, you know, is this group, here are the results, here are the e-care plans that have been submitted. Um, so I feel like in, in any change, you know, that's a, a huge part of, you know, providing the the momentum to make that change possible. Right. And to a degree, up until today, um, hopefully this ages really poorly, um, pharmacies have not really had any kind of tools to build, to build medical claims and services that were not specifically related to a drug. Right. So like we can bill for, administration of a COVID vaccine. Cool. It gets a little murkier when you try and bill for, you know, diabetes self-education. You kind of have to fudge the current system to be able to bill it through a pharmacy claim, you know, a normal bin and PCN and transform it into a medical claim. Um, so pharmacy really needs to be able to adapt to you know, how an EHR bills services, right? So you'll, you're never going to get away from dispensing a drug, but you have to think about billing of the services differently than you do about billing the drug. Um, and so it's one of the things that's really exciting about 
buying transact is it gives us the ability to learn together how that works. Um, and so when the tools are there and they're easy to use, you know, again, insurance companies will do what's efficient and saves them money. That's one of the tools that will help us get to that point. Yeah. So the Transactor X is a fairly new announcement um, with the Red Sail uh, Technologies acquisition, what, back in June, I guess. So yep. super, super fresh. No, um, no new features rolling out this week on it, but mm-hmm. uh, like the possibilities for the future seem really exciting with that. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, early on, the the biggest win will be, you know, because we're we're owned by the same group now. You know, you can really start to figure out how to tie things in better, right? One of the one of the scariest things about medical billing today for pharmacies is that it's not real-time adjudication, right? Like we can blame PBMs for a whole lot of things, but one of the kind of superpowers that we have because of that, and if they'd stayed in this bucket, they would be heroes and not villains. Real-time adjudication in pharmacy is amazing, right? It would be amazing if you didn't lose money on stuff, but it's amazing that you can see in real time if it's covered, how much is covered, what you're going to get paid for it, et cetera. When you get into medical billing, it kind of goes into this black box. And then sometime between three and eight weeks later, you may or may not get a check for it. And so, you know, one of the things that you have to do and you have to do well is reconcile that. So like, you know, with real-time adjudication, if claims rejected, you know right then that it was a billing error for quantity and day supply. You update it, you send it back, you get it paid. With medical billing, you have this revenue cycle that's extended, you know, multiple weeks out. And so being able to track what you're going to get paid and when is is vitally important. And one of the things that I think Transact does well today that together will do even better. Nice. Nice. So how uh, – I guess it's so early in the uh... – in the picture, but like, what do you think that looks like in, in normal workflow for, um, for a pharmacy? So, I mean, what, one of the cool things about the, the care goals now is that those have been implemented into normal workflow. So when you're working on that patient, while you're talking to that patient or while you're planning the, um, uh, the MedSync pickup, uh, appointment, you know, you're able to address a lot of those goals and move those, mm-hmm. uh, those care actions towards completion of the goal. Like, where do you see, you know, the billing element being implemented into that? Does that go out with a claim? Does that go out with an e-care plan submission? And, and where's that even go? So I think if, you know, I guess, again, if, if I do my job the way I want to do it, <laughs> um, at the end of the day, I don't want a pharmacist to have to think about where the billing is going, right? I mean, today the the thought process is I put in the, you know, the Ben and PCN on the patient's third party and every prescription I bill after that, I don't think about it, right? It just, it goes. Obviously with secondary things and, and coupons, you have some edge cases that you have to pay attention to, but the bulk of the thing is you hit F12, a claim goes away and... In an ideal world, a paid claim comes back and you make a good margin off of it. Um, so that's the goal with 
transact in general, right? If I have a product, I bill it. I want to bill it to the place where I'm going to make the best possible money from it. And so, you know, for example, for um, a vaccine, you may build the product to the PBM and you may build the medical insurance for an administration fee. Hmm. I don't want you to think about that. We want to make sure that systematically we can do those types of things. Um, and then the other part is for items that aren't prescription related, like a service or, you know, something that's cognitive the medical billing is a perfect place to generate from the e-care plan. So, you know, each action is you saying I've done X step. So a step might be just, Hey, get this document. Great. But a step may also be, I spent, you know, an hour educating Will on his diabetes. Cool. Now I have an action. I have a duration. All I need to do is attach a CPT or a HIGPIC code to that, and I can send all that clinical documentation up and transform that into a medical claim. Now, I made that sound a lot easier than it actually is, but that's that's the dream. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can already kind of see that that dream in action if you look at the MedSync uh, care goal where you're taking mm -hmm. all that information, all those medications, those phone calls, all the... Uh, the ICD-10 codes uh, associated with that patient and, you know, the, the lab values that are on the patient's profile. And you're including all of that in the e-care plan where you have that MedSync care goal that's not necessarily tied to one prescription claim. Uh, you have multiple prescriptions, but again, you have all the SNOMED codes, you have all your documentation, you know, so um, you, you can already see that framework within the system. It's, it's not, uh, it's not unimagin unimaginable. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was the that was the hope and direction Jeff and I were aiming for when we started building care plans, you know, five years ago. Um, we just hadn't had a, a medical billing company that was able to do the kind of work, you know, they were, you know, and for good on them, they spent a lot of time figuring out how to shoehorn pharmacy into that, that medical billing world. So they haven't been doing nothing. They've been doing a lot of work. Um, we just had the right timing where Transact was built on good technology and, and kind of shared a dream for being able to do this seamlessly. Um, and so it was the right time. I, I hoped it would have been the right time five years ago, but now there are finally enough people having, you know, programs that can be billed and that are actually legally able to bill that now it starts to make sense. I mean, we're still a few say several months to a couple of years away from making it ubiquitous, but we're much closer now than we've ever been. Nice. Yeah. It's exciting to see that, that change that, and that reality that, um, you know, again, if I had a nickel for every uh, time I've heard that argument from pharmacy that, you know, we want to get paid for the work that we're doing mm -hmm. and it's like, yes, here's the, here, here's the vehicle to, provide all the pieces to make that possible. Right. And we made it work seamlessly with your regular workflow. So, you know, the easier care planning gets, the less of an excuse anybody has not to do it because you're like, you know, you had to dispense the drug, you had to do data entry, fill and check station. If I pop a care plan in there somewhere while you're doing something that you already have to do. Cool. Now you just, Tell a little story, 
save your note and you're done, right? And then you don't have to think about, did I bill this or is it billable? Um, you know, it's one of the magical things about triggers is it doesn't require a human to start something. And so, you know, one of the things that I've seen over and over again is your clinical program at most pharmacies is as good as the pharmacist on staff that cares about it. Yeah. Right. And so putting all of those things together, care plans, medical billing triggers and categories, it means that the things that you do automatically, you don't have to think about, can it be billed? Should it be billed? The system will do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such, um, you know, that, that process of setting those up to introduce into workflow automatically can be, you know, very, um, I don't, I don't know, very linear. You can share your logic with the system and say, hey, for these scenarios, when these conditions are met, I want you to trigger this set of instructions uh, and, and kind of vessel for my team to to document this interaction. And it, and it really can be just that um, practical. You know, uh, I, I think anytime you have a new term, you know, like care planning or med sync or, you know, becoming, uh, you know, an immunization uh uh, uh, icon in your community, uh, as a lot of our pharmacists have in the past couple of years, it could seem scary, but you know, once you're, once you're doing it practically, um, I think that takes a lot of the, uh, anxiety out of it. Yeah. And I, and I regularly argue that most of these pharmacies are doing it already. It's just getting in the habit of putting in a note when they've done it. Right. So, you know, a lot of times in pharmacies say, hey, I want to start care planning. My first question is, what do you want to do? And you have to have some kind of vision for that of like, all right, if you want to do, if you want to be the best at immunizing in your, your neighborhood, you have a plan for doing that, right? If you want to start care planning, have a plan for the things you want to do, and then you can execute it, right? Like there's nothing complicated about care planning. Pharmacists have been doing it for, you know, let's call it a hundred years and I can underestimate that. The, the magic is just getting in the habit of documenting it. Right. And, and that's not hard. Right? All of us learned in pharmacy school, how to write a soap note. That wasn't fun, but a care plan takes 10 seconds. It's really, yeah. you know, it's really a no brainer once you get it set up and you have your vision really detailed and planned. Oh, dude, and I, I would I would argue that so many of our pharmacies, if you go to the comments area of their patients, right, they they are care planning uh, to some degree. They're just doing it on Scratchpad. You know, they're doing it somewhere that's not uh, able to you know to share what they're doing. Right. Yeah. The the post-it note care plan. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yep. All right. So almost out of time. What else is exciting, man? What do you see? What do you see mm -hmm. coming in? Um, 2023 besides uh supply chain <laughs> um you know like we both just spent a couple of weeks on the road for trade shows you more than me i think the the next thing that's coming is kind of this weird optimism um you know pharmacy has been kind of that sad puppy dog that's been kicked a few times over the last few years and you know i i think the i talked to a lot of pharmacists in the last couple of weeks who were weirdly optimistic about what their future looks like. Um, you know, 
you see, I've seen more novel pharmacy types go out, you know, like, um, like blueberry that doesn't take insurance. And, you know, you have like your Terry towns who did like an insane amount of COVID vaccines and, you know, like Eric's pharmacy in, in Pennsylvania, like these guys are doing stuff that if you asked them two years ago, if they could do it, they would have laughed in your face. And now they not sure. only do it, but they're good at it. And the side effect of that is they've got great relationships with public health and their doctors in their neighborhoods and their school districts. Um, so I hope what we see in the next couple of years outside of, you know, a couple hundred more features out of pioneer every year, um, is this pharmacy being good at marketing their skills and telling everybody who will listen what they're good at. Um, I think if we do that, you have this real, real chance of proving that independent community pharmacy is as good as we've all said it was for, you know, the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. There was uh, definitely, you know, an elevated sense of uh, optimism. You know, every trade show I went to uh, over the past few months that, uh, A, I think everyone was, you know, happy to be traveling and yeah. seeing their seeing their peers uh, again. But um, yeah, there, there's definitely uh, a bit of uh, optimism and you know, maybe a re-energized sense of uh, purpose, mm -hmm. if nothing else, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's been a long time since you saw pharmacists make the news for anything other than, you know, one of the big three retail chains did something wildly stupid. Yeah. Um, or, you know, even before, like if you looked at when you watch your local news and they're talking about a pharmacy, What's the image that they always show? A dude with a counting tray and two hands, right? You're, yeah, the, I was I was going with that or like a long uh, drive-through line, <laughs> right? So like they they're talking about the pharmacy or the pharmacist, and they're they've got a camera on a counting tray and a person counting by fives. What I saw different through the pandemic was when they were talking to pharmacies and pharmacists they actually had a real human that they were talking to. You know, we saw hundreds of those on, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn for pioneer pharmacies that were like a real person talking to a news anchor and not showing a counting tray. I, I think that alone is showing a, a massive shift in the kind of credibility pharmacy bought in the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. When you start replacing stock footage with, with real people, you know, that says right. something. Yep. So I, I'm going to hold on cautious optimism for the next two to three years. <laughs> awesome. Well, I know you've got many hats to wear, so I'm going to let you get back into the office and uh, uh, start swapping those hats out. But thanks for joining us, Josh. Uh, Want to have you on again uh, pretty soon. Can't wait to see what's coming down the pipeline with TransactRx and uh, thanks so much for everything that uh, you guys and the development team are doing. I know all of our pharmacies, uh, you know, are looking at those new features every week and uh, submitting new features every week. So um, excellent job keeping those rolling out, man. Cool. Thanks, Will. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, subscribing, 
and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform.